0: your championship listen to this crowd Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond here's Grant McCauley Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for another chat about what's been going on for the Atlanta Braves, who have been red hot in the month of August. How hot, you ask? Well, they are now the first place, Atlanta Braves, as we sit here recording this on Monday, August the 16th. Got a whole lot to get into, including how exactly did the Braves climb into the penthouse of the division? And to do that, I'll have my friend Corey McCartney along in just a moment. Before we jump into the show, though, I want to remind you, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. If you like what you've been hearing and enjoy this praise conversation, then by all means, please share it with a friend. If you're into the social media thing, you can follow me on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can find the show at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end, and you can find me on Instagram at Grant McCauley as well. The show is at From the Diamond with no underscore. And if you'd like to find articles and videos and anything else I've got coming your way, from the diamond.com is the place to do that. I'm going to talk about what's been going on with the Atlanta Braves of late. I want to welcome Corey McCartney. He, of course, writes for Talking Chop. And you can follow him on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. Man, when last we spoke, the Braves were coming off the trade deadline, which was very busy. They added a bunch of pieces and they were in hopes of making a run in the NL East and Corey, if we fast forward a couple of weeks, I would say the Braves are indeed making a run in the NL East as they're sitting in the penthouse all of a sudden. And it's pretty safe to say that this was Alex Anthopoulos' idea, his hopes for what adding talent at the deadline could mean to his team.
1: Thanks for having me on again, Graham. But, yeah, obviously you get talent. You you expect that talent to perform for you. It's done that. And, and certainly the Braves have taken advantage of a schedule that's been really primed for them to be in this position. I mean, the Reds were a tough test. Uh, But they're beating a Nationals team that they were supposed to have beaten, and it's certainly you've got six more games here that are set up for them to build upon this lead. So uh, everything was set up for them to be in this position. Certainly these players have uh, you know, been great additions, uh, especially that that outfield there, but they're taking advantage when they needed to.
0: No doubt about it. We're going to talk a lot more about the schedule a little bit later in the show, but I do want to talk a little bit about those newcomers. As you mentioned in the outfield, we're seeing a lot of Jorge Soler and Adam Duvall, of course. Richard Rodriguez has been very busy out of the Atlanta Braves bullpen meanwhile the other addition Eddie Rosario he's out on a rehab assignment and could be back soon as well to make his Atlanta debut so it turns out that these were the kind of deals that added depth I think to a team that was without it almost all season long and when you have more talent to work with it gives you the opportunity to I think go a little bit further even if those players aren't going to replace the likes of, say, Ronald Acuna Jr., who the Braves would very much like to have, but they had to do something to try to replace that.
1: Yeah, you know, that was impossible. And, you know, as we've talked about before with Hoppulis' comments at the trade deadline, he said, you know, you can't replace the superstar, so they went with the depth route. And I think you really just have to like what you've seen so far, these guys in Braves uniforms. I mean, Jock Peterson's hitting twenty-five percent above league average, mm-hmm. Jorge Soler's hitting sixteen percent above. Uh, you mentioned what you're getting from Richard Rodriguez out of the bullpen and, uh, you know, Eddie Rosario, you're you know, expecting that he's going to be able to come up and be another depth option for you off the bench. And certainly Adam Duvall continues to love hitting at, at Truist Park. I mean, the, the guy just, I mean, I ran some numbers from him last week. He has, in terms of guys who have, you know, had 25 or more plate appearances, he has the highest OPS of any player who's put on a visiting uniform mm-hmm. uh, at SunTrust Park, now Truist Park. So. Those guys have all been absolutely huge for this team. And it's amazing to look at that lineup now and what you saw in the you know post Acuna's injury and what they were putting out there in the outfield. And it looks and feels like a deep major league lineup now without question.
0: It really does. They're names, you know, and I think that's kind of what we were talking about when we recorded the episode a couple of weeks ago, right after the trade deadline. And it wasn't just about getting names. Of course you needed those names to come and produce. And I think that they've done that as well. Uh, losing ronald acuna jr this was something we also touched on on our trade deadline episode that would have been the signal i think to a lot of teams a lot of gms to just go ahead and say look this is not our year we're going to go ahead and pack it in and there was a lot of the i don't know if you want to call it post-apocalyptic type trade scenarios that were being thrown around on twitter including hey why don't you just go ahead and deal freddie freeman just trying to re-sign him in the offseason and if it wasn't that then it was more of the moves you might expect like Trading a Charlie Morton or a Drew Smiley or perhaps a Will Smith, whoever it might be that could have value to some other team, go ahead and trade those guys and pack it in. So I think that you circle back around to when we talked about this on the 31st, you wanted to see these guys come in and make an impact and give the Braves a little bit of a push. But it's coincided with a very interesting time, of course, for the New York Mets of uh, not producing at the manner and the rate that they would like to. And also a surge a little bit from the Phillies as well, who are now neck and neck with the Braves as we segue over into what exactly it is that's happened around here that has gotten the braves into first place and i think there are quite a few things you can look at from the Braves side of things that have helped out big picture view they went from seven and a half games out of first place to one game up on the division in two months time after they swept the nationals atlanta is now 18 and 11 since the all-star break which doesn't sound overwhelming but when you consider what we were watching the first two and a half or three months of the season 18 and 11 is a pretty good month, I'll say that. Braves are 10 and 3 here in August, and during which time the Mets are 4 and 10, and have tumbled from three and a half games up in the division to two and a half games out in the standings as they come into play this week. And the Braves enter this week a season high six games over 500, after not making it over that mark until the 109th game of the season. Corey, I'll just say this, and I'll get your thoughts on it. It's been a wild, crazy, just unpredictable ride for the Braves, but. They're right where they wanted to be this time of year—that's for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, every approach to the trade deadline was was really based upon the Mets' inability to pull away when they should mm-hmm. have. I mean, you're looking at a team that now is is a 400 winning percentage in the second half of the season. They're 12 Yikes. and 18. Um, I mean, they've got a, a minus 34 run differential in the second half of the season. So every injury bug uh, issue that could plague this team has hit them hard. And on the flip side, though, I mean. I was listening to Joe Girardi uh, on MLB Network today, and you know certainly the Braves have had their injury issues. The Mets have had them as well. The Phillies have had a ton of injury issues, mm-hmm. especially in their lineup. And you know here they are, you know a game back, and Bryce Harper's kind of scuttled a little bit after a lot of MVP talk with him. But it's setting up to be a really fun race down the stretch. And I, I kind of go back to a comment you made there about you know, the deadline and with the approach and whether, you know, pack it in and move on from veteran players. If this was the NBA, if this was the NFL, and you knew you were going to get an immediate impact player in the draft, Mm -hmm. maybe that changes the approach to the deadline, but it's just not the reality in baseball. And certainly the every indication that was that this Mets team could be chased down and they've been more than chased down. They've, they've certainly helped that, uh, with their own inability to to produce and, and, you know, pull away when they could have. And the Braves have very much taken advantage, but it's got to be, you know, incredibly frustrating to be a fan of this Mets team, to know what the, the talent they've had and the inability to actually put it all together at once on the field. And, um, you know, you bring in Javier Baez and you're still waiting on, you know, DeGrom that when, when is he going to get back? And, but Obviously, a lot's played in the Braves' favor, and right now they're taking full advantage.
0: Yeah, and that's what you want to do is be in a position where you can take advantage when another team struggles. And you mentioned a lot of the storylines and a lot of the expectations that the Mets were somehow, I think, living out, if you will, over the first two or three months of the season. But I think, just like you said, it was really built on the fact that no one seemed to want to take this division and run away with it, and somebody had to win it. That kind of felt like where the Mets were at that time. And they have, of course, the best pitcher in the world in Jacob deGrom, but they don't have him right now. You really didn't get the impact you wanted from Francisco Lindor. He's been hurt. You do go out and get Javi Baez. It was reported they made a run at Chris Bryant at the trade deadline as well. That did not work out for him, but they had to do something. They've got an underperformance from Michael Conforto. Dominic Smith hasn't been the player he was a year ago. The Mets have dealt with their injuries as well. And it's just a team that they looked very mortal, if you will. They looked vulnerable at some point for another team to either head-to-head take a series from the Mets and make a division race out of it or to wait for the Mets to have to go through the kind of grind that we'll talk about a little bit later in the schedule where they are and their beat up so there really wasn't any indicator for me at least at the trade deadline to say look this division belongs to the New York Mets and we need to go ahead and accept that as the other teams and move on from it and I think that as you look at what the Braves are dealing with as I said seven and a half games out of first place in the middle of June They're now a game up in first place as of the middle of August. So it's been, again, a crazy ride, but the Braves, little by little, piece by piece, have been able to climb back to the top of the division, a division that they have won for the last three years, and they've got, I think, the momentum, if you will, on their side, certainly if we're talking about the Mets, but also when you look at the Phillies, it's going to be an interesting race, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, looking today, this is the first time I can remember all season where the Braves have had the best chance of making the playoffs per fan graphs uh, postseason odds. They're now at 46.7%. Uh, the Phillies are at 412 And, you know, obviously, that's all driven by the, the division. I mean, the Braves are 44.9% to win the division one8 to get the wild card. So, Um, You know, I mean, it was uh, single digits percentage wise for them not that Mm -hmm. long ago. And now you're looking at nearly 50 percent chance of making the postseason. So a remarkable turnaround. And now on the flip side, the Mets are at 16 percent, by the way, uh, to get in. So it's been very wild. And as much as we, you know, these last three uh, division titles that they've been able to put together, um, You know, last year, you know, maybe had its moments, obviously, you know, in it, it August was August 16th. They were a game back. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're a game up uh, a year ago. So uh, I don't know that I would have saw this team with a near 50 percent chance to make the postseason in August, considering where things stood a month ago. But it's been startling without question.
0: Of course. And the amusing thing about looking at it year over year and what was happening on August 16th last year, Well, that was only a couple of weeks into the season, but the Braves were also (laughs) looking very much down the barrel of losing their best starting pitcher for the year. We really didn't know how last year was going to play out. So year over year, they're more or less in the same place. How they got there, though, is a very, very different question. And as we kind of round out, just talking about the division, because we are going to come back to that again, I want to talk about the things that are making that up when it comes to the different phases of the Braves team. And I think offensively speaking, this is a club that's going to be driven by what they can do at the plate and as an offense and the Braves are getting more than pretty good production from their lineup in particular I would say the infield we've got a lot of cool stuff going on with this group right now after his recent home run binge Dansby Swanson's up to 24 bombs on the year Ozzy Albies hit five homers in six games this past week and is now 22 home runs for the year Freddie Freeman and Austin Riley each hit their 25th by going back to back on Sunday against the Nationals so Corey with 44 games to go Atlanta's infield could become the first in MLB history to have all four starters hit 30 or more home runs. And even if they don't get there, Atlanta seems like a lock to join the 2008 Marlins as the only other team, the only other infield in baseball history with 25-plus homers apiece from all four of those infield spots. And I would say that that is a pretty darn cool stat, and I love cool stats.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. And certainly at this point, it's hard to think like, you know, The last group that I feel like had this kind, not even this kind of power, but the last time where they had across the diamond uh, power like this in the infield, 2013, you know, when you had Andleton Simmons at 17, you had Chris Johnson that year, you know, he hit 12, I mean, 12, we're talking about 12 and 17 is is power numbers from the key infielders that year. Obviously Dan and Freddie Freeman, Freddie really starting to come into his own at that point. But, yeah, I mean, that seems like the last time they really had that kind of power, and now they have it on all four spots. I mean, it's it's incredible.
0: I mean, I'll throw this one out there. Think about the infield in 2019 as the Braves starting infield this year. is kind of similar. You got Freddie Freeman. You got Ozzy Albies. You got Dansby Swanson. Change out Austin Riley for Josh Donaldson. That 2019 Atlanta infield, Freeman had 38 home runs. Albies had 24. Swanson had 17, which is not bad. And then Uh, Josh Donaldson had 37 as well. That's 116 around the horn, but you don't really think about it. And of course, a lot's happened in the last couple of years. So sometimes it doesn't really register as much, but I mean, I've had different times this year where I've gone back and tried to think, you know, when's the last time XYZ happened in terms of Braves infielders, in particular Swanson, who now owns a single season record for a brave shortstop for most home runs. And that's franchise history, not just Atlanta. I was thinking about Jeff Blauser in 1997 and someone pointed out Andrelton Simmons in 2013 had a nice little home run binge as well it's just easy to get these things lost but the point is that from a group from first base second base third base and a shortstop to be doing what this team is doing from a power perspective I can't underscore enough how important that is to have when you're looking to make up production from either a player you've lost like Acuna or just simply trying to turn things on and take the strength of this club and really push it to the next level so that they can chase down the Phillies or the Mets or whoever it is, build up that lead, and just stay up and above all the other teams that could be coming their way.
1: Yeah, that 2019 group, by the way, that's the group that holds the single-season home run record for an infield for the Braves of the 148 in total. So, um, you know, that 2013 team is a little bit farther down than I'm talking about. They're They're actually like 11th, but... That's the group right there. The 2019 one is with with Donaldson, obviously, uh, you know, as part of that. But, you know, if you were going to lose the power of Acuna and, you know, obviously you're trying to supplement it with Jock Peterson and Adam Duvall and Jorge Soler. But the fact that they're getting that from guys that were already here. I mean, it's incredible that they have that much power within this lineup now. And it certainly makes you wonder, like, what would have happened if Acuna would have still been a part of this, but, um, you know, we've been around long enough around this team to watch sure. Riley get drafted, to watch Swanson, mm-hmm. you know, get traded for and to come up and, you know, come up if you want to say too early. Uh, and obviously all the hype that was surrounding Ozzy when he came up as mm-hmm. well to, fu- to have them all being in this position. I mean, it, it's kind of cool to have been along for the ride. You know, you sure. kind of feel like you watched a band that you saw and playing some dive all of a sudden, you know, is playing in the Grammys <laughs> or something, but um, yeah, you know, it's just it's weird that that they're in this position and in potentially setting a record power wise with that group. It's uh, it, man, kudos to I hate saying it, kudos to John Coppolella, man. I mean, this is really impressive when you consider the the way that they brought these guys in, developed, and got them to this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, player development played a big part in this because when you think about it, yeah, they did trade for Swanson, but. They signed Albies as an international free agent. They drafted both Freeman and Riley. So if you want to peel it back further, the Braves have been able to produce these guys who are at different stages of their career, of course, with Freddie Freeman being, you know, the elder statesman of the bunch and the MVP, let's not forget, a year ago to really lead this group. So it's an impressive quartet of homegrown Braves that are doing this thing as well. And the other interesting thing, and and I hate doing this, and I threw it out there on Twitter and kind of made a little bit of a, a wink and a nod at it as well, the only club with five 30 home run hitters in the same season just happened in 2019 it was the Minnesota Twins if the Mm -hmm. Braves infield was able to pull off this trick and each one of them hit 30 plus home runs you had to feel Ronald Acuna Jr. was a lock for 30 home runs he is most seasons but lost to an injury this year so only 24 homers for him prior to the all-star break and as I said on Twitter I apologize for making any and everyone sad about it it just seemed like the kind of noteworthy what if that Marvel would find entertaining and we might see an episode of that
1: well, I mean, Ozuna too. I mean, uh, true, true. I mean, you can't tell me that, you know, Marcelo Ozuna and, and Ronald Acuna Jr. couldn't have gotten 25 home runs this season. Obviously, Acuna was one away, but to think of Ozuna would have been in his typical production, you're talking at least mid 20s out of him. I right. Mean, I was thinking the, the 30
0: six. home run record, though, would have been pretty impressive if you were able to have six yeah. 30 home run guys.
1: Yeah. And then if you add, you know, the potential of Ozuna in there as well, I mean, you're talking about, you know, six. I mean, that's that's ridiculous.
0: Yeah it's absolutely ridiculous and speaking of which I want to talk a little bit more about what's been going on lately for Dansby Swanson because Corey it seems like yesterday when his season looked like it was going the complete wrong direction he looked lost at the plate production wasn't there the strikeouts were starting to get rather alarming and I know there were some who were even hoping that Orlando Arcia might come up from Gwinnett and get a shot at the everyday shortstop job for Atlanta that obviously didn't happen and now Dansby Swanson has caught fire so over the past month or so he is slashing three seventy nine four 414 705 That's seven doubles, eight homers, 28 runs knocked in, and 20 runs scored in his last 24 games. And to go back to this well one more time, because I just am going to keep saying it because somebody had to step up, this is exactly what the Braves needed, this kind of production, with Ronald Acuna Jr. out for the season.
1: Oh, without question. And, you know, I, I think the, the stuff I really love about Dansby this season is the hard hit rate, Is it a career high? 46%. Mm -hmm. It's a 5.4% increase year over year. The hard hit rate, you know, is a career high, 12.7%. That's up 1.3% year over year. So, you know, we know obviously, you know, the pressure this guy has dealt with being a former number one pick, you know, coming to his hometown. I mean, I can remember the day driving down to the, the stadium when he got called up and they literally had digital billboards around the city that welcomed him home. This guy had to deal with some insane levels of pressure, and you know, slowly but surely, I mean, he's—I'm not saying he's proving every bit to have been worth the number one overall pick by the Diamondbacks that season, but certainly, you've seen progression from him each and every year, and I think you're seeing this, the plate discipline now. You know, you're seeing the ability to put the ball in play consistently and with high exit velocities, mm-hmm. and you're—you're you're seeing a guy who has developed, and we watched him develop, and I think that's been. You know, one of the cooler parts of this is that he's gotten to this point. But having gotten there last year, you know, you could have called. I'm admit I was one of the many people who looked at what he did last year and said, "Well, okay, well that BABIP is played a big part in this in a small sample size mm-hmm. of a season." And now you're seeing a guy who, okay, maybe last year wasn't just the fact that they played 60 games and that it was his first healthy season. He was progressing, and now you're seeing that further progression, and it's really taken off the power department. So, I think he's been a revelation these past two seasons of what he's been able to do.
0: Yeah, no, he definitely has. And I do remember back in 2016, it was the middle of August, there was not a whole lot going on for the 2015 and 2016 Braves when it came to just the highlights. So, you did start to get really excited if there was going to be a kid that was going to get called up that was going to come up and get a taste of the big leagues. Do you happen to remember, in strange trivia for this podcast, what it was Dansby Swanson said that he bought as his meal on his way to Atlanta to get called up?
1: I wondered if you were going to ask the Baconator. I actually wrote that in my uh, (laughs) The son of Baconator. Yeah, I remember writing the story that night uh, when I was to work for Fox Sports, and I had uh, that Baconator was in my lead that night uh, yeah vividly remember
0: now i want to point out it was the son of baconator which is different people might be asking what is the difference between a wendy's baconator and the son of baconator and according to a quick google search which i'm sure people are really going to commit to memory from this podcast so that we can talk about it years from now it features two 2.25 ounce patties instead of the quarter pound patties son of baconator features all the same ingredients of the original just in a more compact form so Make of that what you will. That was what Dansby Swanson ate on his way to make his major league debut, you know, some five years ago, I believe tomorrow. So, as we sit here recording this, we're kind of uh, on a fun little anniversary of Dansby Swanson making it to the big leagues. And now, five years later, you know, we're having a conversation about how this guy's bat is one of the impact spots of this lineup for a Braves team that just climbed into first place and is heading down the stretch with a chance to win a fourth consecutive division title swanson has certainly played a part in that over the years and perhaps none more so than this year depending on how things play out
1: if either somehow gets into the baseball hall of fame or the braves end up you know welcoming him into their hall of fame i think wendy's is going to have to play a part in the proceedings i think it's going to be have to be catered by wendy's sure and we're going to do our part to make sure that happens
0: well why not we will let them know it's ready for you now if you want to pick it up but you got to drive down there and pick it up if you want that baked (laughs) potato and that frosty just like michael scott but uh, Dansby Swanson and the Braves infield have been on fire of late we've touched on this before but just bringing it up again Ozzy Albies has had quite the power surge as well and when you and I talked about getting these new pieces into the Braves lineup what was it going to look like at the top was Jock Peterson going to be the leadoff guy for the Braves well as it turned out Corey our discussion about how I and I think you would be interested in seeing Ozzy Albies at the top of the order that's what we've seen of late he hasn't necessarily gotten on base at a super high rate but man he's had some big hits including a walk-off home run a few days ago. And I like giving Ozzy the plate appearances at the top, and unless or until he happens to struggle and is just not doing the job up there, I would leave him right up there. I like having the switch hitter at the top of the lineup and giving Ozzy as many plate appearances as you can right now given the circumstances.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I mean, the 849 OPS is good. It's obviously not spectacular. Um, You've gotten five home runs from him in that spot so far. He struck out 12 times. Um, you know, but he's got a three eleven OBP, and you know certainly you can make a pitcher uncomfortable when you've got a guy that can be a switch hitter up there, and we know you know the the speed that he's able to bring it, to it as well. So, um yeah, I obviously the, you know this is a guy who has has made his his name with extra base hits. I mean, you look since his debut, yeah, no second baseman has more extra base hits than he does. I think he has eleven more than Altuve does in that time period. so that if if you can't get a at the top, having a guy who leads his position since his debut in extra base hits uh, at that top of that order, uh, it certainly makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. And in case you're wondering, Ozzy Albies already has 59 extra base hits this year and has been among the tops in major league baseball with that. And could be by the time all of said and done this season. And if he is Corey at the top of that list of most extra base hits by anyone in baseball, then I would say Ozzie Albies has certainly done his part to help get the Braves back into October.
1: Yeah. I, I It's kind of an interesting debate. I was kind of thinking about this, you know, driving around the other day. Obviously, you know, Freddie Freeman is, you know, the reigning NL MVP. You know, he's having another great season. He hit 32% above league average. Austin Riley, you know, 35%. Does Ozzy Albies have a place in the MVP conversation? I think it's an interesting debate. I mean, who is the Braves? Because Bryce Harper was getting a lot of buzz, and he's kind of faded of late. I think he's Mm -hmm. eight for his last 22 or 32, something along those lines. If the Braves win this division and you've got Fernando Satis, he's still going to be a factor. Jacob DeGrom, you know, was the leader, and that's obviously not going to happen now. Who is the Braves' best MVP candidate? Does Ozzy, with that extra base production and moving into that leadoff spot and kind of taking over the reins, if you will, from that from Acuna right now? where does he sit in that conversation
0: he's got to be in that top what two or three players if you take ronald acuna jr who obviously you can't help the fact that he's going to miss the second half of the season and you'd love to have ronald because he's the runaway favorite for braves mvp then of course you have the mvp from 2020 freddie freeman who's gotten red hot in the last couple of months as well he's really right of the ship looks like freddie freeman uh, any other year you would look at him you wouldn't know by now watching him that he had a very slow start to the season and that things weren't going his way for a while but one of the other guys that i think is making a case and we'll see what happens over the last 44 games of the year is austin riley i mean i think you have to at least look at him as far as team mvp is concerned i'm not sitting here telling you he's going to win the national league mvp but austin riley has been a revelation for the braves this year to use that phrase again and has been exactly what they needed with so many other question marks swirling around this team after a couple of slow weeks austin riley got hot in mid-april and he really has not slowed down He's given the Braves all the consistency and continuity they could ask for out of a third baseman who could be around for a long time.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's the same conversation with him and Dansby Swanson, right? It's like you you had these expectations for this guy. They're both obviously first round picks. And you watch them kind of go through their, you know, learning on the job. And Dansby again had a great season last year, but it feels like in the totality of a full major league season and in producing in a full major league season, they're both getting it done. At the same time, and it feels like they've done it together in the same path, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's just interesting to me that it feels like the very much the same conversation. We've talked about this before. I mean, you go back to, you know, Austin's first season, and you know he's he's tying Ryan Clusko for the most, uh, you know, most home runs in the first half of a season by a rookie in Braves history, and then he can't hit the slider in the second half of the season. And right. then last year, he's improved against the slider, and he's struggling against the fastball, but things fade down the stretch this year he's putting it all together and very much like the conversation with Dansby Swanson, the plate discipline has improved dramatically. I think one of the more, more interesting things with Austin Riley is the amount of times he, his first pitch swing percentage is down dramatically year over year. I mean, he, just the patience out of him, uh, you know, has been huge. And you think about, obviously we talked a ton about what you lost in Ronald Acuna Jr. And it's irreplaceable, but, Think about what you lost in Marcelo Zuna in lineup protection
0: yeah. with oh, Freddie yeah.
1: Freeman. Austin yeah. I mean, Austin Riley has been every bit the answer for not having Marcelo Zuna. And it's kind of mind-boggling to think where this team would be if they didn't have Austin Riley. I think you could you could very much make the conversation that he's been the most important player on this team because you didn't know if he was going to be able to consistently do it this season. And, you know, he's done it in spades.
0: He really has. He continues to make big contributions to the Braves. He made a big one with a glove on Sunday to help Atlanta finish off that sweep against the Nationals. But if we were coming into this podcast on, what, April the 1st, or let's say opening day, and I told you that, hey, on August the 16th, we're going to be looking at Austin Riley leading the team in batting average. He's going to be third in on-base percentage. He's going to be leading the team in slugging, and he's going to be second in OPS for the club you would probably wonder what happened to a couple of other players and now i'm giving ronald acuna jr the credit in terms of some of the stats because it hasn't really been that long since he's gone out it's been a little bit over a month in terms of playing time but by the time we get to the end of the year and we talk about who were the braves best hitters over 162 games you're going to have two names there i think in terms of most consistent most impactful players and the numbers really bearing it out it's going to be freddie freeman and Austin Riley and you can make a case of course for Ozzy Albies and Dansby Swanson perhaps there's a lot of baseball that to be played but two guys that have really done it and are looking at the team lead if you will when it comes to home runs when it comes to uh, on base percentage and just overall production and OPS Freddie Freeman and Austin Riley are ahead of the pack by a good little margin especially in the absence of Ronald Acuna Jr. who everybody expected to be pretty much at the top of any depth chart the Braves are making.
1: And if they were doing it, I mean, think about an outfield that you were trotting out there at times that had El Monte, Heredia, Arcia. I mean, it's, it, you know, everything was set up for this team to fail, right? I mean, you think about the amount of injuries, you know, the fact that, you know, you were, how aggressive were they going to be at the deadline? I mean, the, the fact that they've gotten those corners, those corner guys, I mean, I mean, the middle of the infield has been, you know, obviously red hot of late. But the corner guys have literally, you know, lack unattended, you know, pun intended, I guess, have been the cornerstones for this team this yeah. year. And even having them in this position, you think about losing Darno for a long year you know, for 86 games. I mean, it's really remarkable to think that they're in this position. And I, I think, you know, if they end up winning this division, and you look at the last four seasons, is this going to be the most impressive of those four when you consider what they've gone through? I mean, obviously, last year was its own little monster. And and how, who, how sure, are you going to sure. work through – you know, innings and, you know, what was, are we, we going to be able to play 60 games and all those little factors that play with it. But the fact that they're in this position with all they've dealt with, I mean, it's, I keep using the word, but it's remarkable that they're in this position and it's honestly, it's stunning considering all they've dealt with.
0: Yeah. I mean, they've overcome a lot. I mean, Christian Ponche got hurt. And then he was demoted down to triple A because he just wasn't able to produce enough at the big league level. He just didn't look like he was ready when almost everybody expected him to be the everyday center fielder this year then you throw in Acuna and Ozuna both being injured out for the year clearly Marcel has some other problems that everyone is well aware of that's going to keep him off this club for the foreseeable future if not ever putting on a Braves uniform again but just looking at this year in a vacuum on the on the field in terms of what you're putting in the lineup the Braves have had a lot of lineups that I would say were not filled with names that exactly inspired confidence once you got past Freddie Freeman Ozzy Albies Dansby Swanson Austin Riley And Ronald Acuna Jr. Until he got hurt, there was a lot of plug and play. The bottom of the Braves lineup seemed like a black hole, particularly with Travis Darno out. And now you go out, you get a Jock Peterson, you get a Jorge Soler, you get an Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario on the way in. I think having Steven Vogt as a backup for Darno will be useful down the stretch as well. This is the opportunity to have a team that's uh, really starting to come together and have the pieces it needs to make this run down the stretch. And that, in turn, has really put the Braves where they are. But production-wise, when you look at guys that have been the driving forces this year, I know a lot of folks were worried about Freddie Freeman because the results simply weren't there early on. The numbers weren't there. He's rounding into form at the right time. Riley Swanson, Albies, his infield, very, very exciting. And a remade outfield has Atlanta in a place where they're going to be able to score some runs. And I think that this is a club that's going to have to score some runs if they want to succeed and Atlanta welcome back catcher Travis Darnot as you mentioned he got back in the mix last week after missing nearly three months with a torn ligament in his thumb that's another boost for the lineup and that's more firepower for a team that's probably going to need all the runs and more that it can get more nights than not
1: so the time period between when he got lost to that thumb injury and the day he returned they were the worst catching group in baseball they had 46 way to run created plus (sighs) plus, so 54% below league average hitters at that catcher position. They were abysmal. And then, you know, I think it kind of goes unsaid too what, what he means to that pitching staff as well. I mean, not Stephen votes, a, you know, a veteran guy, you know, Kevin Smith's been around, you know, but the fact that you, you that William Contreras was kind of, was learning on the job. And when you talk to catchers, that's kind of like the last piece of it, right? Is learning how to manage a game. Mm-hmm. And as much as you might have that skill set, and you might be able to, to to hit, and you might be able to frame, or you know, to be able to, you know, read a scouting report or whatever. That's kind of like the final piece is being able to truly manage a game. And, it, and have been asking William Contreras to do that at the major league level when he it's not something he's had to do at that level. That's a tough yeah. learning curve. And Definitely. I think you know the fact that you've got obviously the offensive production wasn't there. But now that you've got that, along with what Darno means to that that Mm -hmm. staff, I mean, I mean, I just don't think you can say enough for what that stability means. And I do wonder though, like when he's been out that long, and you know, when Brian Sticker was talking about him coming back, well, they wanted to see him. It obviously didn't happen. They wanted to see him put together, you know, complete games, you know, two three game stretch. But they needed him back, and you know, is the workload going to be a concern with him? You know, down the stretch here because they're going to need him to play a ton. So I think that's going to be an interesting factor in this as well. But, man, it cannot be said enough what just what a boost he means offensively and behind the plate for this team.
0: Yeah, I do think we're going to be seeing him four or five times a week minimum, maybe pinch hitting here and there as well. I think you can lean on vote a little bit more than you could, I say, Kevin Smith in terms of offensively. I know Steven hasn't done a ton since he came over. Kevin Smith I think really he got pressed into pretty regular duty and I do think he did a pretty nice job with the staff overall but when you look at the Braves catchers this year and as you mentioned the numbers are not great offensively speaking even throwing Darno in there the numbers are not great William Contreras has still had the most playing time behind the plate and he's been down in the minor leagues for weeks now so you just kind of look at it and hope that hey having Travis Darno back and healthy is going to be the answer to that question that has plagued the Braves all season long. On the other side of that, a guy who's returning that Travis Darno may be behind the plate for quite a few times down the stretch is Waskar Noah. He rejoins the Braves this week. He's going to jump back into rotation. At Corey, he was one of the early season bright spots before punching a bench after a bad start up in Milwaukee and breaking his pitching hand. He's missed a few months now. Uh, with that behind, you and with Kyle Muller heading back down to AAA, it looks like the Braves are going to give Enoa Noah a while to get going again and get himself another chance to prove that he belongs and that early success this season was no accident.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the the slider for him is just so ridiculous. Uh, I can't wait to see that in action again against major league hitters. Obviously, everyone's going to wonder what he's going to be able to do at the plate, you know, considering the Otani-esque, you know, (laughs) run we saw to him at times. But it's going to be really wild to think when you've got him and then Ian Anderson, you know, on the cusp of getting back too. Mm So these two, obviously, you know, including Anderson, in this as well, they missed a long period of time. And with Anderson was obviously shut down and, you know, it wasn't an arm injury it was his hand. So you weren't so much concerned about, you know, how much of an impact in building stuff back up. Innings are obviously going to be of concern for these guys because they've both been off long periods of time. So you think about, is it a six man rotation? Does Tukey kind of get squeezed out of that? What does that look like going forward? You know, when, when the Braves rotation is back at full strength and how yeah. much, I mean, is that the right play? Is it is six the right play or is Tukey sliding into that bullpen uh, the right play? I think it's going to be an interesting decision they're going to have to make here. But I think when everyone was concerned about what innings were going to look like in 2021, the timing of all this is interesting for the Braves if they want to be able to guard guys uh, over these past, you know, these final, what is it? Six weeks.
0: I don't foresee there being a six man rotation kind of thing for the Braves. They've hinted at that a couple of times over the last few years, but Honestly, Corey, they never really stick with it for very long. So I never really get my hopes up that, hey, we're going to get more innings for this player or that player. And as you look at it right now, a lot of those discussions we were having were a few years ago when you're just talking about developing arms or things of that nature. In the heat of a pennant race trying to win the division, I'm not sure that you can really afford to take too many chances and be too outside the box when it comes to your starting rotation. You just want consistency and continuity. And if you get these guys healthy, I think you have a chance to get that. Charlie Morton has, I think, rounded into form. Max Fried has looked pretty good more times out than not. But getting Anderson and Enoa back, mixing them back in, Drew Smiley has continued to hold a spot in the Braves rotation. For the most part, it's been somewhat unspectacular, but it's gotten the job done enough. I don't know if he holds on to a rotation spot above some of the other guys we're talking about down the stretch, and particularly in the postseason. I don't think that you're going to go into a scenario where Drew Smiley is getting starts before some of the other names we've mentioned.
1: I found this interesting. They've won eleven of Drew Smiley's last twelve starts. I saw that. That leads the majors in that time period. <laughs> so
0: funny how that works.
1: I mean, and he's not been. I mean, you, I've you said it. I mean, he hasn't been great. I mean, he's got sitting on what a three thirty four ERA in that time period. You know, he's he's, you know, struck out fifty three. He's walked twenty two. I mean, he's got a homers. You know, Seven twenty three OPS against. Obviously, he's allowed six home runs in that stretch. But if the guy sets the tone and you're able to win, like. I guess we don't know how much is that part of the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Is that part of the conversation is, you know, we always talk about, what well, gives us a chance to win. Well, Drew Smiley has given you a chance to win 11 of the last 12 games. And that leads, obviously it leads, I said it, it leads the majors in that. Obviously it has to lead the Braves in that time period as well. So I don't know. I mean, maybe he, if you could take him and put him in the Josh Tomlin role, you know, as that long relief guy when they're at full strength? Does that make more sense? Because obviously we know how electric Tukey stuff can be, but it can also be very much, I love Tukey, but it can also be a disaster. It
0: can be one of two extremes. We've seen it.
1: Yeah. So it's like, what's the best play is allowing Tukey to figure out which version of Tukey you have. And then you've got Smiley in the back burner, or does it make more sense because, you know, you've shown an ability to win games that Drew Smiley starts that he gets in on. I I, I think it's going to be a really interesting debate.
0: Yeah, it will be. And I don't think that Tucson's going to be the guy that makes it a full-on numbers game. I think that the return of Ian Anderson and Waskari Noah is what's going to make it more interesting. I think the guys like Tukey, even Kyle Muller, he was having some success before having a bit of a wild streak, I think, that was why you make that change and give Noah that opportunity to start. That and the fact that you have Noah back and he's finally healthy. I think these things have a way of working out. Isn't that the old phrase we heard a lot from whether it's Brian Snitker or (laughs) Freddie Gonzalez Gonzalez. or Bobby Cox, we'd we'd always hear it. And it's always true. You can go in with all the numbers you want here to try to attack this thing. But over the course of a season, you are going to lose certain guys to injury. Other guys aren't going to perform. And then some guys you weren't even thinking about might step up and kind of grab the brass ring, so to speak.
1: Yeah. When you say these things have a way of working themselves out, I just automatically think of Freddie Gonzalez. That was the operating line for him. All those times when we wondered, well, how are you going to manage this? How is this going to play? And that was always the answer.
0: Yeah, and maybe he hadn't made up his mind at that time either. And by the time <laughs> he had, that guy could be hurt, traded, or some other thing could have happened. Who in the world knows? But getting Noah back, getting Ian Anderson back when that time comes, those will be big things for the Braves. Boosts for the rotation if they're able to do what they have done for the majority of the season and in Noah's case, able to just pick up where he left off before he got hurt. Now, I want to flip the conversation to the other side of the Braves pitching staff, which, of course, is what happens in the bullpen. And I think that most Braves fans can appreciate winning more nights than not. But there's something to be said, Corey, for winning in the fashion that one prefers. And much of that is tied to how you get those final three outs. Will Smith has been under fire, especially online, because his ninth innings tend to get a little bit busy on the base pass. Let's call it that. With Richard Rodriguez on board, I'd at least entertain the idea of putting him in some matchups for saves on some nights, maybe sharing some of that load there. Is that something you expect to see as well, or is that maybe just one man's theory or two men's theory, as the case may be, as the Braves really just stick with what's been working?
1: I mean, I would love to see them do it, right? I mean, what's the point in having that kind of depth if you don't play matchups or play the hot hand, you know? I remember Jim Johnson, you know, I hate to bring up a, a sore name for a lot of race you know, games, So does John Hart. But, <laughs> but I, I can remember Jim Johnson just talking about when you're a guy in that bullpen and you're a guy who's closed games, just the understand that you know when you're going to go out there is beneficial in how mm-hmm. you mentally approach a game. But I just don't know if you're someone who's trying to include, you know, the feel and the analytics and the depth that it makes sense to approach something like that. And when you've got a guy who's not Craig Kimbrell, who's not Liam Hendricks, who's not, you know, a Chapman, who's faced the minimum of batters once in his last 10 games. And when talking about Will Smith, it makes sense to say this is our defined closer, a guy who's, you know, blown three saves since July 1st. Uh, it, to me, you've got Richard Rodriguez. You've got, you know, obviously Will Smith. You've got Luke Jackson, who's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Tyler Matic has yes, been definitely. nails. Definitely. Um, Chris Martin has the ability to do it. You have so many options. So, why approach it from the end of saying this is the guy if he's getting himself in a position where it's becoming more cardiac than it is effective?
0: Yeah. And let me throw a few stats at you. And one that you threw at me that I think was really fun, I looked up while we were talking. In his last five outings, Smith has allowed five hits. Two of those are home runs and walked five batters while striking out six. That's across the course of five innings. The Braves have won four out of those five games, so the result is there. And there's that saying about playing with fire, and we've seen it more than a few times this year. If you do it for too long, you're going to get burned. Walk a batter, give up a homer. Those kinds of things aren't what you want to see from your closer in a tight game. And we have seen them happen. We've seen them happen recently. But I went back and looked. Remember I told you the Braves had gone from seven and a half games out to one game up in the national league east over that time period from june the 17th to august the 15th for will smith he's made 22 appearances the braves have won 20 of those games now it's not fun to lose the two that you did and of course there is something to be said again for the way that you win games and how you want to feel in those final three outs of the ball game but you know the braves have been winning whether or not it's been a little bit crazy at the end or not and looking at what richard rodriguez has done it's kind of fascinating to me He's come over, he's tossed nine scoreless innings in his nine appearances with the Braves. But for a guy that was averaging 13 punchouts per nine in 2020, he's averaging just seven this year, Corey, and just four strikeouts per nine. So just four punchouts in general over his nine appearances with the Braves. I don't know what to make of that just yet. He's getting the job done, but certainly not what we've come to expect from our high leverage relievers.
1: No, it's not. And I kind of dove into the numbers at the trade deadline on him. The slider usage for him has gone way down. And you look at back in 2020 when he was punching guys out like crazy, his slider percentage was at a a career high that year. And now he's much more using the fastball. But the fastball with him is so interesting because it's not elite in terms of the velocity, but it's got crazy spin. He's in the top 90% in uh, spin rate on his fastball. So it's hard to square up. I mean, I think yeah. he's gotten to the point, I guess, where you're just going to limit guys ability to make solid contact as opposed to selling out for the strikeout. So I think it's an interesting approach, but regardless of who the Braves have in the closer role and who gets the, the most reps down the stretch here, whether it's Will Smith, Rich Rodriguez, you know, if Matzik finally gets a chance to do mm-hmm. this, it's not just about winning these games. Now it's also about, when you're in the NLDS, if you make it to the NLCS, and you're playing teams with depth, and they have the ability to bring ridiculous bats off the bench, like let's say it's the, sure. they uh, face the Dodgers again, and you've got Pujols sitting on that bench, who do you have faith in getting those outs? That's what's more interesting to me is is not about necessarily the effectiveness. It is that's part of it, but the confidence level that you have with that guy. I think that's that's real really to me a part of this conversation of figuring out that ninth inning for this team.
0: Yeah. There's a huge, huge, huge advantage to having a bullpen that has more than one weapon. And it's not just that, Hey, save your best weapon only for the ninth inning. I think we've learned over the years that you do have to have a cast of characters. It's something the Braves did really well a year ago. But as we talk about the guys that the Braves have, and we can also talk about the guys that they don't have, of course, Mark Melanson did not come back and resign by the time the Braves brought shane green back i kind of thought that they rushed him back to the big leagues and now we see as of this past week the Braves have released shane green and don't feel like he's a guy that could contribute at all given the numbers i don't blame him for making that decision particularly when you go out and you get a rodriguez who can come in and hopefully give you the kind of high leverage innings or performances that you were hoping to get from green but i think you hit the nail on the head with tyler matzik really figuring it out with luke jackson continuing to make his contribution which people can say whatever they want to say but As far as the overall bullpen success, Luke Jackson's name has to be on the list of things that have gone more right than wrong this year. There are some options there because the game's not only going to be won or lost in the ninth inning. There's a lot to be said for how you get there at the end, but it sure would be nice to be able to breathe a little bit easier in the ninth. It just hadn't been the case for Will Smith lately, and uh, perhaps over the next, what, five weeks, six weeks of the regular season, he's able to get that under control and start having some of those innings that really build up not just his confidence, but also the confidence of Braves fans that, hey, we've got this lead. These are the guys that are going to protect it, and now we can go about the business of hopefully winning a lot of ballgames, winning a lot of series.
1: So, I mean, let's say that the Braves make the postseason and this bullpen. you know They continue down this path, and, and Will Smith is the one that they bring in in these high-leverage situations. I mean, Rich Rodriguez has been fine, but if you didn't go out and get the biggest guy that was available to be in that situation for you, is that going to end up being – kind of the story of this team that they didn't get that guy that was going to be there to close the door. I mean, because you could have had Kimbrell, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. he's got a $16 million option for next year. You could have swung that deal.
0: Maybe. But then again, do you really want to put $16 million into Craig Kimbrell next year when you have other things that are just a higher level? And I know this is getting into a lot of hot stove thinking about how we're going to spend next year's money and it's easy to spend other people's millions trust me i've been talking about it for years (laughs) and i'm sure we all talk about it on twitter quite a bit but i just don't know if that was the one move that i'm saying that's a missed opportunity but hindsight being what it is well yeah not getting a better guy another guy two more guys the best guy possible those are scenarios you're going to run over in your head it's perfectly natural to do that
1: i like rich rodriguez i've been Mm -hmm. high on him all season i just think there were I think you could have approached it the same way you approached the outfield and you could have done it from a depth perspective in terms of just you know going out and getting Rodriguez. But that's been the thing that this team has not even – I mean, Melanson was good last year, but it, they have not had for a while that guy that you just feel like, oh, no. The other team knows it's over when that guy comes out of the uh, bullpen, right? I mean, it just you know, they, they haven't had that aura in right. the ninth inning for a while. But think about this too. How many teams actually have that? Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of become a thing of the past, right? I mean, a little bit, in a lot yeah. of ways. But when that guy's out there and you can get him, I don't know. I guess I approach it like I'm playing MLB the show, right? I mean, well, and sure. that's not necessarily fair.
0: And I guess what I'm saying is that I mean, nobody's a sure thing. You can go out and get the guy who's leading the league in saves, and it can be awful for you. We've seen that happen in trades in the past, and not to go through every single trade of every reliever that's ever been dealt at the deadline, but. It's not necessarily the only thing that's going to have to go right for you down the stretch as well. The Braves had a lot of other things that they needed to really figure out and have some that they're continuing to iron out. But any which way you slice this thing, the Braves need Will Smith to pitch meaningful innings for them, regardless of if that's in the ninth inning or if it happens to be in the seventh or the eighth or any of the other roles that Alex Anthopoulos said that they wouldn't be afraid to use Will Smith in when they signed him to that big contract a few years ago. There have been some sticky situations that he has gotten himself into there have been a couple of just head-shaking go-ahead home runs game-tying home runs that have come at the expense of Will Smith as well but if you really look at it more times than not save that one magical season that every closer usually has to build a lot of his legacy on every closer is going to run into that even if it's Dennis Eckersley in game one of the World Series in 1988 it's going to find you it just does
1: Yeah, I just, I get that, you know, you brought Will Smith last year and then you, you know, you used him a little bit more in that role last year. You had him pitching, he pitched, you know, the eighth inning eight times, you know, he pitched in the seventh inning, you know, three times, the sixth inning three times. I guess I'd just like to see that a little bit more this year, right? I mean, just because you've lost Melanson, I, I think I would, I would still like to see that usage of Will Smith and not have it be, you know, the fact that, you know, this is where this guy pitches you know, I mean, he spits 45 times in the the ninth inning. I would like to see him become that weapon, you know. I I don't know. I I just think that's – if that's where the game's headed, let's see it happen. It just seems like it's always a conversation, but it seems like when it comes down to it, it's not what actually happens on the field.
0: Sure. Well, let me ask you this, too. If you're judging what he's done in the ninth inning or using that as your criteria, is that the guy you want to bring in to the close spot night after night?
1: I mean, he's got a you know six eighty six OPS in the ninth inning. Guys are hitting two eleven against him. So I mean, it's happening. It's just I think it. I think because of the placement this team was at, that everything got amplified. Right? You sure. were waiting for Absolutely. them to, to to take advantage and get that get over five hundred, get into first place, and he blows three saves in you know fifteen games. And I think that's that's probably why that happened. Right? If if he had done that, if those had been spread out and you get you know a guy who's got a 2.11 batting average against him in the ninth inning, and that's the totality of the season. But you know, but you got a 4.01 ERA in that time, too. You've given up six home runs in the ninth inning. It's I don't know. It, it's, it's a lot of highs and a lot of eye-opening things with him when you run through the stats on him.
0: Yeah, it really is, and that's kind of what we sit here and do is go through some of them. We can't get through all of them, of course. That's just not going to work out that way. But I guess when I look at Will Smith just in general, again, to go back to what I said before, the Braves are going to need him to make some kind of contribution, a meaningful contribution in some situation late and likely in a high leverage. So uh, would you feel better about him pitching to Joey Votto in the seventh inning after hitting a guy in the foot and then maybe giving up a two-run homer then because you have a few more bats to go? Or will it feel the same if you lose the lead and then lose the game a little bit later? But the other thing with blown saves is, as we learned, I think, with Luke Jackson a few years ago, how many of those blown saves do you end up losing? That, I think, is what makes it worse, if you will, for closers, is giving up the walk-offs and things of that nature. And considering how the Braves have been in extra innings and that Will Smith was on the mound for a lot of those as well, that I don't think has been a whole lot of fun either. But let's stick a pin in the Will Smith discussion, as I think we can both agree, him pitching at the highest level that he can down the stretch is exactly what the Braves need, regardless of what inning it's going to be in. I did want to look at the NLE schedules before we get out of here and what the Braves are going to be working with i saw buster only tweeted on monday morning that the mets are in the midst of 13 straight games against the dodgers and giants alliance sports bureau says this is the first time a team has played 13 straight against teams with a 600 plus winning percentage or better at least 100 games into the season since 1980 The uh, toronto blue jays were the team that drew that card back in 1980 that was a good year and they went four and nine in that stretch I think the Mets will be fortunate to go 4-9 and nine against the Giants and Dodgers in the midst of this two-week stretch for them. That's going to be a pretty tough draw, obviously. Braves are going to see the Giants and Dodgers to close out this month, but Atlanta has the Marlins and Orioles prior. Then they play the Rockies, then the Nationals, the Marlins, and Rockies again after that. So to put it bluntly, Atlanta's schedule is much more favorable over the next month, and the Phillies is pretty similar to Atlanta's. This is going to be a tough time for the New York Mets, if they have any hope at all of staying in this race.
1: Yeah, I will say one thing, though, about the Mets is after you get through that run and that stretch that we're talking about there could be a, a death knell. It's a meat grinder, yeah. go really badly. But you got 14 games against the, the Marlins and the Nationals after that. 14 right. games against the two worst teams in the division. So if they're above water, you know, let's say they go – let's say they go 500 over this stretch that they're in right now, or let's say that they obviously they're going to have some work to do considering the way they've looked against the Dodgers in those three games. But if they can figure something out over this stretch, man, that's a a unique opportunity for them while the Braves, you know, on the flip side are having to face, you know, obviously the Yankees and the Dodgers themselves and the Giants. I mean, it's going to be an interesting run because I think we look at this time period as, as an opportunity for the Mets to be completely out of this. But what follows it is, basically what the Braves are dealing with right now
0: now that's true however I will point out that much like the Braves have struggled against the Marlins uh, likewise have the Mets they're just three and six against Miami this year they're six and five against the Nationals and of course those were the Nationals much of this before the trade deadline came along so there is a difference in the Nationals you see now the ones that you saw back in April or May but uh, regardless if the Mets can't figure out a way to somehow keep their head above water in this particular run against the Giants and the Dodgers it could be pretty tough to make up the ground when you consider that the Braves and the Phillies are both going to be playing schedules that are just a lot more favorable and I know I mentioned the Phillies is similar to the Braves well they're embarking on a stretch over the next month where they'll play the Diamondbacks then they do get the Padres and of course the Tampa Bay Rays but they play Arizona again then the Nationals then the Marlins they have a date with the Brewers then they get the Rockies and the Cubs so Philadelphia more than not is going to be seeing a handful of tougher teams and a bunch of sub 500 opponents I guess the Mets get to it on the other half of that it just seems like for the Braves and for the Phillies it's a little bit more spread out maybe a little bit less daunting than it's going to be for the Mets who have to stare down two of the best teams in the National League and do so for about two straight weeks without Jacob deGrom no Francisco Lindor and really just not at full strength let's put it that way
1: yeah. You mentioned that date with the Brewers for the Phillies. Then they get 15 of 18 against teams that are struggling and you get the Rockies, the Cubs, the Orioles and the pirates. Yeah. It's trying to, you know, within three games against the Mets. So I, you know, that's September 28th, to 30th series here in Atlanta between the, the Phillies and the, the Braves is going to, I mean, that could be huge. Yeah, I mean, that could not to get ahead of ourselves here, but man, that feels like that could be the deciding factor in this division is going to be that three game series here in Atlanta. So I think, the schedule is setting itself up to be very interesting. And then obviously, you know, the Braves are going to close with the Mets. So that last little stretch for the Braves is going to be a lot of fun. Basically from September 24th, when they face the Padres until October 3rd, when you close against the Mets, we'll see what the division's like at that point, but you know, maybe somebody's got it wrapped by then, but it, it, it's setting itself up to be a really fun finish.
0: I guess it really depends on your definition of fun. It's definitely going to be uh-huh. interesting, intriguing. There's no two ways about that. It, it might be heartbreaking it might be pure euphoria we're going to find out when we get there but Corey I think we've covered a lot in this episode of the show and as always I appreciate you making so much time to talk about the latest goings on with the Atlanta Braves who are embarking on a 44 game stretch to get to hopefully another trip to October if they can figure out a way to win the National League East again they sit in first place as we recorded this show and that's something that about a month ago I wasn't sure we were going to be talking about the first place Braves at any point this season.
1: 44 games in the season where 44 is really meaningful. Yeah. So I think uh, you yeah, might be some foreboding there. But, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, Grant. I appreciate it as always, man. It's uh, it's, it's been a wild season. It's so much fun to, to dive into just what's been uh, – all the years we've been covering the Braves, this has certainly been one of the craziest years without question.
0: No doubt about it. Corey, as always, I appreciate your time. I look forward to talking to you again soon. All right, man. Thank you. That'll wrap us up for this episode of From the Diamond. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. I appreciate those so much. And if you like what you've been hearing and all this brave discussion, be sure to tell a friend. You can find me on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. The show is on Twitter at From the Diamond underscore. Over on Instagram, I'm at Grant McCauley there. And the show is at From the Diamond with no underscore. And if you're looking for anything else, including articles and videos and every episode of the show, fromthediamond.com is the place to find that. That'll put a bow on this week's episode. The first-place Braves embark on the final 44 games of the season as they try to win the division for the fourth consecutive year. They'll have to edge out the Phillies and perhaps hold off the Mets if they want to get the job done. And we'll be covering it each and every week along the way right here on From the Diamond. So until next time, for Corey McCartney, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.